Hey everyone, my name is Adam. Welcome to the Chestnut Ridge Church Podcast. At the end of today's talk, please take a minute and download our free Chestnut Ridge app. It has all our recent message content and more. You can also head to theridge.church to get information on service times and get info on everything going on here at The Ridge. We hope that today's talk will encourage and inspire you as you continue to grow in your relationship with God and others. Welcome. Two men were walking in a field one day and they noticed an angry bull was raging toward them and they took off running. It was some distance to the fence and so they knew they were kind of in trouble and one of the guys said to his friend, John, you gotta pray for us, John. And John said, I, I've never prayed out loud in my whole life. And the, the other guy said, well, you've got to. Uh, this bull's gonna get us. And so he thought for a moment and he said, well, I'll pray the only prayer I know. It's the one my dad prays before we eat. Lord, for what we are about to receive, make us truly thankful. <laughs> Today we want to finish our series titled Hard Questions. And two weeks ago I raised the question, why does God allow suffering? Why does God allow things to happen to us? And one of the references we looked at was James chapter 2, or 1 and verse 2 where we read, consider it a great joy, my brothers, whenever you experience various trials. Consider it a great joy whenever you experience various trials. Now, every time I read that, I, a couple thoughts come to mind. Number one is just how remarkable that perspective is. I mean, we, we live in a world where we do everything we can to avoid suffering and pain and and everything we can to avoid a life that's kind of difficult, and yet James says, well, when you face various things, you need to view it as joy. And the second thing is it, it strikes me just how much faith it requires to believe that, to recognize that if, if we are Christians, if we put our trust in Jesus Christ, that we can indeed have a different perspective. And it requires, I think, spiritual maturity to view it this way, because I think when we're young, we view pain only through the lens of the pain it's causing us, the suffering that we're experiencing. But if we're able to see through that, it's a sign of maturity to recognize that good things can come out of the pain that we're facing. Now, all of us face various things, struggles, trials in life, pain in life. Some of us perhaps are suffering through various health issues and maybe it's just a literal pain that you're feeling or a suffering or it could be um, other kinds of health issues or things related to maybe the death of a loved one that you love so very much and, and you're kind of carrying the weight of that kind of suffering. It could be financial difficulties or maybe work, something related to work that's, uh, for you maybe it's even a pain just to go to work. I think our whole world, by the way, is kind of suffering in a sense due to COVID-19 and so we all know what it is to feel pain and to feel suffering. But two weeks ago, I made this point, it was my main takeaway, that we can make sense of our suffering. And I want to continue with that thought today because the one encouraging thing that we have as Christians is the Bible, the Word of God, and it gives us an entirely different perspective toward the things we face in this world. There's an actual theology related to suffering and how we're to view it. Now, last time I spoke on this, I gave you three observations related to suffering, and I want to remind you what I said. Number one is that all suffering can be traced back to Adam and Eve, and I mean all suffering. 
I think most people, when they suffer, their first thought is, what did I do wrong to deserve this? Which is not good theology, but I think that's what we tend to think, that there's some kind of a, a karma out there that if you do a bad thing, a bad things hap- you know, will happen to you. And so we, we associate our sin with our suffering. Or many times what we do instead is blame God for it. Like, God, in your love and in your power, you could have removed this from me. And, and we look in the wrong places. Ultimately, all suffering, though, is caused by the fact that a decision was made in the Garden of Eden about 6,000 years ago between Adam and Eve when they disobeyed God. And God said, don't eat from the tree in the middle of the garden. They did, and suddenly death came into this world. They introduced death not just for themselves, but for all of creation. And so we read that all of creation is under a curse. And so my point is that I think we need to recognize that suffering is normal in a broken world. We live in a world with thorns and thistles and where rust exists and where there's pain and there's suffering and death and all these things are part of it. And I don't know why we're surprised when we experience suffering. It's just the world in which we live. And most suffering, most suffering, I think, is related to that first point. Second point I made or observation was that we should not expect God to intervene every time bad things happen. And I think Christians are caught off guard with suffering primarily because we, we think, well, I'm a Christian. That thing shouldn't be happening to me. And I don't know where we get that particular idea, but for the most part, it seems like God has determined that he's gonna allow things to run their course. He doesn't fix everything that's wrong, everything that's wrong in this world or everything that we get wrong. He doesn't step in and fix it. I read about a little fifth grade boy who heard a a sermon on prayer. And that night, his dad was walking by the little boy's door, and he heard the boy saying, Tokyo, Tokyo, Tokyo. And the dad was kind of perplexed by it. And so the next day, he asked the boy, what, was, what were you doing in your room? And the boy said, well, I was, I was praying. He said, I got, the, I got the wrong answer for the capital of Mexico. I was asking God to change it. It's not exactly how this thing works, that everything we get wrong or everything that's wrong in this world is God's going to step in and fix it. Now, having said that, sometimes he does. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time at all, you probably have stories about how you're confident that God intervened in your life. He does do it, but many times he allows things to run their course. Third point I made previously is that Christians should view suffering as discipline and not punishment. Now, I alluded to this earlier that, again, I think Christians think, well, all people, I think, think that when something happens, it's somehow God's punishment on their life. As Christians, we know, though, that God has taken our punishment. Jesus Christ took upon himself our punishment. And if you put your trust in Jesus Christ, he's forgiven your sins, past, present, and future. So when bad things happen, it's not punishment, but what it is is discipline, and all suffering is discipline. And it raises the question, what is the difference? I mean, it still hurts no matter what. What's the difference between the discipline or the punishment? And the difference is the the objective, the goal. The goal of punishment is to give someone what they deserve. And our judicial system is kind of based on that. Our, our, our uh, prison system is based on that. It's the idea that you did something wrong and so you have to pay for it. You've got to be punished for it. And lots of times it's not about rehabilitation. I mean, we could discuss whether that should be changed. 
But I think all of us know that many times prisoners come out worse than they went in. It doesn't change them. It doesn't transform them. That's what punishment is. You just get what you deserve. But discipline is entirely different. Every hardship we face in life is about discipline, training, to try to make us more and more like Christ. And so an athlete, for example, who's in training might view that the, thing, the, the things that he or she are suffering are punishment, but in reality, it's, it's discipline. Now, God does discipline some, uh, sometimes for sin. It's still not punishment. What it is is God's trying to get our attention to make us better. Paul understood this. He said in Romans 5, 3, and 4, beginning in the middle of verse 3, we also rejoice in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance, endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. That's what it's about. And as we go through our lives, we grow stronger, we grow in our endurance, we grow in our character, and then we come to view things differently. We have hope in the midst of whatever we're facing because we've been in through it so many times before. And so again, how we view our suffering can make a huge difference in how, how we handle it. We can make sense of the things we're suffering. But I want to make a fourth point here this morning, and that is that no one has suffered as much as God has. And therefore, it means that God can really understand what it is we're going through. No one suffered as much as God has. Now, this might be hard for us to, to grab a hold of, but I, I would suggest that God has been suffering for at least 6,000 years. That's when he created Adam and Eve. I think that it broke the heart of God when Adam and Eve disobeyed him and God knew what was coming upon them and upon the world. I, think it, I really think it pained his heart when that happened. I imagine the same thing happened when Cain killed Abel, the two children of Adam and Eve, one killed the other, and what must have gone through the heart of God? Now, we get an early glimpse of this heartbeat of God in Genesis 6. I mean, we're talking about the first book in the Bible. And just before God was getting ready to judge the world with this, this flood, which I think really did take place, we get just a glimpse of his heart. In Genesis 6, in verse 5, we read, When the Lord saw that man's wickedness was widespread on the earth, and that every scheme in his mind, his mind thought of, was nothing but evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. He regretted that he made people and he was grieved in his heart. Now, I think theologians struggle over this a little bit, this word regretted. Some older versions of the Bible translate this, he repented that he had made man. It looks like God changed his mind. And that's really not what's happening here. We know in other places of the Bible, like in the book of Numbers, it says God is not a, a person that he changes his mind. God didn't change his mind. It wasn't like God looked down at humanity and said, boy, I made a mistake there. I regret I did it. No, this is a reference to the sadness of his heart. People changed, and therefore God's heart toward people changed. I think in Genesis 6 here, the world had become so evil, so wicked, that the goodness was like gone. It's like this world was not worth living in. In many ways, I think it was the mercy of God to start over. An author by the name of Lange writes about this, God in consistency 
with his immutability, in other words, his unchangeableness, assumes a changed position in respect to changed man. See, God repents or God regrets or changes things in response to changed humanity. He has to respond differently, consistent with his holiness and consistent with his unchangeable nature. Now, I think the NIV really captures the heart of this, though, New International Version, when they translate this verse, the Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. And again, I think this is hard for us to understand how our creator's heart could be be filled with pain. Like he looks at it and his heart is just broken over what he sees. Now, of course, Jesus, the son of God and God the son, experienced pain in what I would call a more tangible way when he took on flesh and blood for us. In Hebrews 4.15, we read, for we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who's been tested or tried in every way as we are, yet without sin. In other words, he always responded in the right way. Jesus knew what it was to, to experience every difficulty, every trial that any person on the planet experiences. He knows what it is to have pain and, and suffering. He knows what sleepless nights look like. He knows what it is to be hungry. He knows what it was to be thirsty. He knows what it was to experience the pain of betrayal as all his close friends of three years all ran away from him. He certainly knows what it is to see the pain of death. You remember as he stood at Lazarus's tomb, he just looked around. Even knowing that he was gonna raise Lazarus from the dead, we read, he wept. He looked at the brokenness of this world and he saw the impact it has on people and how it just breaks everyone's heart and it broke his heart as well. And of course, Jesus experienced physical pain more than any of us as well. The things he went through Before he even got to the cross, the way he was whipped, his back was torn to shreds, the crown of thorns on his head, spit upon, beaten, carrying his cross to Calvary, nailed to the cross. He experienced all this. Of course, he did it for you and for me. The only reason Jesus died on the cross was to pay the penalty for what you and I have done wrong so that if we put our trust in him, we could have eternal life. But Jesus was willing to suffer all this. And then perhaps the greatest suffering of all was the moment in which Jesus took upon himself the sin of the world and the Father turned away. That moment when Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so we think, well, Jesus doesn't understand what I'm going through or God doesn't understand what I'm going through. He's able, it says, to sympathize with our weaknesses. The word literally means he's able to feel or suffer with what we're going through. And so to me, one application is to make sure I take everything to the Lord, all the suffering I'm enduring, I can take it to him. My God understands what it is to suffer. Jesus understands what it is. He's able to come alongside, sympathize with us. He really does understand. A fifth point I'd like to make about suffering is that suffering should remind us that this world is not our home. All the thing, all the pain we experience in this world should be a picture to us that this isn't the world God created and this isn't the world that we are looking forward to. That this is just a temporary place. Now, why is it important that we understand that this world is not really our eternal home? Well, it's so that we won't love it so much, so we won't hold on to it so much. 
You know, John, one of Jesus' closest friends, said, do not love the world or the things of the world because if you love the world, the love of the Father's not in you. That's a kind of a strong statement. Don't love the world. Don't love the things of this world because if you do, the love of the Father is not in you. There's not the capacity within you to love God, but also this world. Now, when John uses the word world, he's not talking about the planet. He's not saying, well, you ought to hate the planet. No, he's saying the philosophies of the world. It's the ideas of the world. It's the values of the world. What the, value, the world says are important things. It's the morals of the world. See, the world is really being led by the God of this world with a small g named Satan. He's working through this entire world system. The problem is that sometimes we as Christians fall too in love with the world. We listen to what the world says. We adopt the world's values or the world's morals and we start going down this particular path. But every time we experience pain, I think it it puts the brakes on it and it, it, in a sense, releases our grip on the world in which we live. Uh, An example of this uh, relates to my parents. Uh, My mom passed away about 24 years ago. My dad passed away about two years ago. Uh, My brothers and I, I have three brothers, we all loved our parents and our wives all loved our parents and the grandkids all loved our, our parents. But when it got close to the end of their lives, uh, we got to a place where we were ready to let go. Uh, My mom had cancer. She'd had uh, cancer 20 years earlier. She had breast cancer. And then it was, it's like the cancer was gone for 20 years, but then it came back, metastatic to the bones. And it got in some of her organs. and, And toward the end of her life, she was in so much pain. And so to the degree we wanted to hold on to her when we saw her suffering the way she was, it's like, no. She needs to go to a better place. It made it easier for us to let go. The same thing happened with my dad, but in a different way. He lived to be, I think it was 86 when he passed away. And and he had some little mini strokes is what they think. And so his mental capacity toward the last few years of his life was, was, uh, went down and he wasn't able to recognize us toward the end and and the quality of his life went down and so as much as we loved our dad it's like we're ready to release you and i really think that the 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 pain of this world the suffering of this world reminds us this isn't it paul wrote to the philippians in philippians 3 20 and 21 he says our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly wait for a savior the lord jesus christ He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. Our citizenship is up there, it's not down here, and we eagerly wait for Jesus because that's when we get the new body, that's when everything's gonna be fixed. We're gonna have a a body just like Jesus had when he rose again from the dead if we put our trust in him. So that's where our eternal citizenship is. It's not this world. Don't be so attached to this world. Suffering serves another purpose, though. It provides an opportunity for us to care for one another. One of the main lessons of the book of Job is don't comfort other people when they're suffering like Job's friends did. 
I mean, initially, I think they did a good job. They sat with Job, it says, for seven days after he had suffered the loss of everything, really. He lost his family, he lost his health, he lost his stuff, he lost everything. And for seven days, they didn't say anything. And then, and, and then I mean, that's what you do. You sit with someone in their suffering, but then they open their mouths. And chapter after chapter after chapter, they attack Job. Because their theology, again, was what many times we have. Bad things don't happen to good people. You must have done something wrong. But suffering is, is a condition of our shared humanity. And it's through our suffering and our hard times that many times people are drawn closer to us. It's suffering that gives us opportunities to, to, to reach into other people's lives and it can really bind us together in deeper and deeper ways. It really serves a good purpose. The problem is, of course, many times in our culture today, we don't like any, anyone to know that we're suffering. You know, we could really be dying inside, but someone says, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. You know, I'm just doing fine. We just want to, we just want to put it out there that we're strong. And we have it all together, but when we suffer, I think we're missing opportunities. And I know I've been guilty of this. I just don't really want anyone to see me in my weakest point. I, I don't want anyone to even judge me in my sickness. I'd rather people think I'm fine. But what opportunities are missed when we don't enter into the suffering of others, where we share that? Because that's the thing that, again, draws us together, where people are drawn together by our weaknesses, not by the strengths Many times people are even repelled when we're too successful. But when we go through hard times, it just softens us and it provides, I think, an opportunity. I love 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4, where Paul wrote, praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves received from God. He's making the point that when we go through difficult times, God, he's called the God of all comfort. He'll come and he will comfort us. We will learn something from how he comforts us so that when we see someone else in need, we can comfort them with the comfort we received. And it'll really make a difference when we're able to relate to others at that level. You know, when you go through something that's really tough and a person comes along, but they haven't been through it, they may be sincere in, in trying to enter into your suffering, but we all know they can't really do it. You know, if they haven't been through the hard time that you've experienced, the marriage that didn't work or the health thing that you're facing, they, they've never experienced those things. They'll come along and say, they'll say they're sorry, but... If someone has been through that themselves and they come along and they say something like, I know exactly what you're going through. I know exactly what it's like to get a diagnosis that goes up and down and up and down and up and down. And it's so hard. You're, you're joyful because the doctor gives you good news and then he comes back two days later and it's bad news. I understand what that's like and we begin to comfort one another in a different way. Romans 12, 15, Paul wrote, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. And in 1 Corinthians 12, the apostle Paul linked our ability to encourage one another to how one part of a physical body feels it when other parts suffer. You see, the church is supposed to be like a big body. And each person with their gifting is like a, a different gift in the body, like some are hands, they, they serve, and some are 
our feet or some of our mouth, the mouth of the body where they speak or whatever, different parts of the body. He wrote in verse 26 of 1 Corinthians 12, so if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. The illustration that comes to my mind is this. If one part of your body hurts, all of it feels it. Like if I have a toothache, and, and I've never had a really, really bad toothache. Some of you have, and I, I, I can imagine, because I've had a short toothache, but if I had a toothache, it would have nothing to do with my feet. Like the feet could be dancing away, you know, but the tooth is hurting. But I'll say this, if I have a toothache, the feet aren't dancing. Do you understand? The whole body feels it. I stub my toe, I could care less about the rest of the body. Everything comes into play to take care of that poor toe. You know, the, that's how the body works. All of it works together when one part is suffering. And this is, again, I think an opportunity we have when we face suffering. The final point I'd like to make related to this is that suffering reminds us of our need for God. You know, when we go through life and everything's going perfectly, oftentimes we don't see our need for God. This is the problem, by the way, often in a culture where there's just a lot of success, where people have a lot of, of financial success, and so they live in a nice house, maybe they have a nice job, maybe even their family is the, just the perfect family and everything's going well. They don't see their need for God. You know, I've been doing fine without him. Why do I need him? But then something happens, and it reminds us that we need God. Now, the truth is we need God desperately. We need God for our very life. We need God for our very breath. We couldn't exist without God. Jesus is holding everything together. We just don't realize that when things are going well, and then something happens. We have baptisms here at the church fairly often. I think we have some coming up soon. Often the baptism is a story about somebody. Most of them are like this. They start by saying, you know, life was going well, and then this happened. And, and suddenly I got this diagnosis, or my marriage fell apart, or I lost my job. And, and they were so broken over it, and they began to, to seek God over it. And maybe a friend invited them then to come to church, and they showed up at Chestnut Ridge Church, and they heard how if we put our trust in Jesus who died and rose again for us, we could have eternal life, and their life was changed in a moment. And that's their story many times. Most of the stories are not, my life was so perfect, and then I found Jesus, and it got better. Most of the stories are, I, I came kind of to the end of myself and I realized I needed God. I couldn't manage it on my own. And this is often what happens when we suffer. It causes us to see our need for God, which was a need again we had all along. But our suffering is the thing that brings it to the surface. Now the Apostle Paul was someone I'd consider the greatest Christian that ever lived, whatever that means. Perhaps the greatest example of of what it means to be a Christian would be the Apostle Paul. And he suffered more than I would argue anyone in this room, which again is proof of the fact that all of our suffering is not related to things we do wrong. He was a guy who was attacked and beaten so that again, his back was just torn open. He was someone who was stoned a couple times where they threw rocks at him, left him for dead. He was someone who spent cold nights in a prison 
Uh, he was someone who was shipwrecked. He had sleepless nights. He, he just suffered in many, many different ways. But he wrote about an occasion where he suffered in an, a, a different way, a unique way, and he tried to understand what God was trying to do through it. We, to this day, don't know how he was suffering. Some think it was an eye condition. Some think it was a, a, an epilepsy or something like that. But he wrote about it in 2 Corinthians 12, 7. He said, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me so that I would not exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Now, Paul did exactly what we do when we suffer. Lord, take it away. Lord, please take it away. And here he specifically said, three times I came before God and said, take it away. This is the Apostle Paul. I mean, he's the kind of person I think if Paul asks God for something, God's going to give it. God said, no. No, you, you need this thing. You need this so that my grace can flow through you because I can't use you if you're so strong. I can only use you in your weakness. Or another way to put it is you've got to come to the end of yourself. And when we go through these hard times, it makes us reach out and say, I need you, God. And so he concluded this section in verse 9 by saying, therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in, and listen to this list, I take pleasure, I, I, I couldn't say what he's about to say, I'd, I'd like to. I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, catastrophes, persecutions, and in pressures, all the things that press us because of Christ, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. He came to the end of himself. He realized his total reliance upon Christ, and he was in a position where God could use him in a greater way. We need to come to this place of recognizing our need for God. Because it does indeed change us to understand that his power is more important or his presence in us is more important than even our well-being sometimes and that he can use us in greater and greater ways when we are sick. So let me summarize. My main point again is that we can make sense of our suffering. I want to, by way of application, give you some questions to ask. One question related to each of the points and these questions are, are on our, the YouVersion app. So some of you have downloaded YouVersion on your phone or your tablet, and you go to Chestnut Ridge Church, or you go to Morgantown, and you'll find Chestnut Ridge Church there. And we've listed these questions. All of you are going to be facing suffering someday in the future. These are the questions I want to encourage you to ask. Number one is, do I realize that suffering's normal because I live in a sin-scarred world? You know, did this thing surprise me? Second, do I understand that God in his sovereignty allows suffering much of the time? Third, in what ways does God want me to grow through this suffering? Is he trying to do a work in my life? Fourth is, do I realize God can sympathize with my suffering because he has suffered? Is he the one to whom I turn? Lord, I just come to you because you understand this. Fifth is, how might this suffering help loose the grip the world has on me. Is it possible that God's trying to just release the grip this world has on you in some way? 
Six is in what ways am I able to use this suffering to help others? I've known several people that began some kind of a Christian ministry based on what they went through. They said it was really, really difficult for me. God brought me through it. And now they have a heart to help other people in the midst of it. How might God want to use this in the lives of others? And then finally, how might this situation draw me closer to God? Now, I hope in the days ahead as you face various things that some of these questions might come to mind just to realize that God's going to somehow work it for the good. It might be a difficult thing, a hard thing, but God is able to turn these things into something good that produces good in and through our lives. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that for believers in Christ, our suffering has meaning. It has significance, O Lord, and it's something that you're using for the good, even though it's hard. I'm grateful for the day that one day you're going to make everything new. But in the meantime, you allow us, O Lord, to go through some of these things and Concerning some of the things we've faced, I think a lot of us would say, Lord, I I just don't ever want to go through that thing again. And yet at the same time, we'd say, thank you that we went through it because, oh Lord, you used it in our lives. And we recognize, oh Lord, that you are our God. You have suffered. You understand. And we're thankful that we can run to you, but also that we could help others in the midst of our suffering. Give us grace to apply these things to our lives, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's talk. If you'd like to hear more messages now, you can check out our past series at theridge.church slash messages, or you can download the free Ridge app. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.